this week on Hope for the Broken. Only God can say, I forgive you. Think about that for a moment. In our sin, we have offended the creator of the cosmos. In our rebellious heart, we turn away from Almighty God. By ignoring God's commands for our life, we disrespect Him. And yet it is that God that went to the cross for you. It is that God that stands ready to say, I forgive you. And it's only made possible through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we celebrate our risen Lord Jesus Christ as we celebrate Easter. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with his sermon titled, Resurrection Claims. This weekend, we are talking about what is most important to us as Christians, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus is indeed alive, and there's many implications that come as a result of that very truth. But he also says that if we, he is not risen, then our faith is futile. It's in vain. It's meaningless. But I'm here to tell you today, and I hope that as you leave here today, you are encouraged in the fact that Jesus is indeed alive. He is indeed resurrected from the grave. And there are so many implications for our life that is the result of that very thing. Um, I want to also invite you back next week as we launch a new teaching series entitled The I Am Statements of Jesus. The seven uh, I Am Statements of Jesus. Since Jesus is resurrected from the grave, the claims that he makes of himself that begin with the phrase, I am, are powerful truths. And it's only true because Jesus is who he says that he is. And so I believe that this is a perfect opportunity for us to launch into that teaching series. I hope that you will make plans to join us back here next Sunday as we dive into all that that means. Because here's the truth. Jesus is no ordinary man. He is God in the flesh, one who has conquered sin, death, the grave, and our shame, and he is worthy of our praise. But today, we're going to be in a powerful section of Scripture, so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 13. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13 as we examine one of the greatest sermons ever preached. Now, of course, this couldn't be the greatest sermon ever preached because Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus, by default is the best preacher, right? And so this is probably the second best or third best sermon ever recorded in history, and it's preached by the Apostle Paul. And by the way, if you do not have a Bible with you, there should be a Bible in the seat rack in front of you or nearby there. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, we would love to give that to you just as a, as a gift. Uh, that Make that Bible yours this, this Easter. And so we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 13. And if you've been with us in our study for 1 Samuel, uh, as we're working our way through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, we're going to push pause on that ser- sermon series. But today serves as the perfect tie between what we've been studying and what we will study starting next week. And so, um, but there are three main things, three main words that make Acts chapter 13 so powerful. 
Three words. The first is the word character. The character in the story. Number two are the claims that he makes. And number three is the conclusion that the Apostle Paul comes to. Character, claim, and conclusion. I want you to hold on to those words as we study this incredible passage of Scripture. Let's jump in by looking at the character. Read with me verse 13 or verse 16 of Acts 13. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, now I want to stop there for right now. Whenever I say the word character, I'm talking about the character in the story. This being the Apostle Paul. Paul stands, he motions with his hand, and he begins to launch into a sermon. Now what makes the character so so powerful is that before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, right? And, And Saul had a reputation. In that former life, he was going around as a part of a group that was literally massacring Christians, if not torturing them, and if not that, then imprisoning them, all because they follow Jesus. And this was in the time of the early church. And this is incredible because the same man involved in the execution of these events targeted towards believers in Jesus Christ then becomes a Christian. And what is most remarkable about this is that he is one of the most notable Christians in the history of the world. In fact, if you were going to say, if you were going to ask somebody, who is the greatest Christian to have ever lived outside of Jesus? Who's the greatest Christian? I always hear two names, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. And so Paul is one of the greatest Christians, certainly the greatest church planter the world has ever seen, the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. But yet, again, before he was Paul, he he was Saul the great persecutor of the early church. And so I want to give you a snapshot of what Paul's life was like when he was Saul before he met Jesus as the Lord and Savior of his life. Chapter 7 and 8 of the book of Acts. We learn that Paul was not only carrying those things out, but he was excited about it. He was on fire. He thought that this was the calling of his life to imprison Christians, to imprison believers, to squelch out this gospel story. And in chapter 7, beginning in verse 58, this is what it says, that they cast him, that him being a man named Stephen. Stephen was a Christian, a follower of Jesus. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Same person. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That is, he died. He succumbed to his injuries. And then chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. That's chapter 7 and 8. But then in chapter 9, this man named Saul, he has uh, documents in hand, legal documents to make arrest, uh, arrest warrants that he's going to service towards believers of Jesus Christ. And he's making his way to Damascus and he's on this road to Damascus and something incredible happens to this man named Saul. He meets the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say he meets him, he physically meets him. Jesus blinds Saul. In all of his glory, blinds Saul. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus. And Paul meets the resurrected Jesus. And from that moment on, his life is forever changed. Flip right side, upside down. He is a new man. And he becomes known as Paul, the greatest Christian in the world. This is what makes part of Acts chapter 13 so powerful. I mean, how can a man that was once so opposed to Christianity become the greatest Christian the world has ever seen and stand up and preach this bold of a sermon? There's only one explanation. Jesus changed him. Forever changes him. And guess what? Jesus can change you too. Perhaps this Easter you will meet the resurrected Jesus Christ, perhaps for the very first time, and he will flip your world upside down. He will forever change you, embolden you, give you a purpose and a plan for your life, set you on a mission, a part of redeeming the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has been doing that for a couple millennia now, and he will continue to do it until he comes again. And what's crazy about this story is that Paul, after he becomes a Christian, he's so concerned with his Jewish brothers and sisters that he can't but help speak of Jesus. He is filled with such love for others that are apart from a relationship with Jesus that he can't help but tell them the good news that is found in him. And so his strategy was to attend the synagogues, Jewish synagogues to worship with the people who may have well been in the crowd that day that shouted crucify him crucify him and ultimately sent Jesus to the cross he becomes so overcome with love for these very people that they too might meet Jesus and so he goes to the synagogue and he preaches now I don't know about you but if I'm Paul and there is any doubt as to who this Jesus is, any question about who Jesus is, I'm not doing that. You know what ultimately happens to Paul? Just like some of the other apostles, he's ultimately martyred for his faith. His life is taken for his faith. Do you think if there was any inkling of a doubt that Paul would have gone to his grave over a possibility of a lie? Not a chance. No way I would. No way you would. But yet he and the apostles become emboldened people and they hold on to this very thing by which would ultimately demand their lives. It's one of the greatest evidences that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened. If, if Jesus is not alive, why risk such a thing? But you see, they were so convinced. They had witnessed Jesus. They had been changed by Jesus that they couldn't help but hold on to this magnificent truth. And you and I today continue in that testimony. And in Acts chapter 13, we see Paul doing what Paul did, is attending the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they decide to have open mic day. Now, if you've ever been to church, open mic, that's dangerous right? Because you never know what's going to come out of people's mouths. I could tell you stories and they're hilarious, but they decide to have open mic day here in the synagogue and Paul takes advantage of it and he stands up, he preaches, he motions with his hand 
grabs their attention. And this brings us to the second part of our passage here today. We've looked at the character. Now let's look at his claims. The claims that he makes in his sermon. He motions with his hand. Follow along in your copy of God's Word, beginning again in verse 16. So Paul stood up, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God. He's addressing the people, and basically what he's saying in making that statement is he's saying this, the rabbi that just read a passage of Scripture, let me explain it to you. And so he's going to launch into this magnificent sermon, and he's going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And so here he is. He is saying this, the God of his, this people, Israel, chose our fathers, that's Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and he made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. That's a reference to the book of Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea. Verse 18, and for about 40 years, he had put up with them, the the Israelites, in the wilderness. All their complaining, all their groaning, uh, and, and, and all their whining. And God provided for them and eventually brought them into the promised land. But before he brings them into the promised land, Moses hands the baton to a man named Joshua. Verse 19, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, the land of Canaan known as the promised land, he gave them their land as an inheritance. There you have it. In three verses, Paul sums up all five, first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Some of you are like, Pastor Chris, you need to take a lesson from Paul. I mean, he, he gets to it. He gets after it. And he says, all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges. Following Joshua, judges ruled the nation of Israel until Samuel the prophet. Samuel being the very last judge. Why? Verse 21, they, then they asked for a king. The people were no longer satisfied with a theocracy, with God leading them. No, they wanted a monarchy. They wanted a king like all the other nations. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he, being God, had removed him, being Saul, God removed him because of his horrible character, he then raised up David, like as in David and Goliath. If you've heard that story, this is King David. And he says to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. In other words, even though King David is a very sinful, broken man, God will use him. Why? Because he repents of his sin. He bows the knee to God. He makes himself a servant to Almighty God. And as a result, verse 23, of this man's offspring, of King David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, that being Jesus, just as he promised. Now, I want you to put your yourself in this synagogue when Paul is giving this sermon. The very people who denied Jesus being the Messiah. The very people who shouted, crucify him, crucify him. The very religious leaders sitting at the helm of this worship service who despised Jesus. And here it is, thinking they had finally gotten rid of Jesus, they hear his name again. And it's coming from the mouth of Paul, you feel the tension rising. He says in verse 24, before Jesus is coming, John, that's John the baptizer, 
had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, finishing his life, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. In other words, John the Baptist was saying, I'm not the Messiah. Do you think I am? I'm not the Messiah. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm unworthy to untie. He's talking about Jesus. Because when he sees Jesus, he tells his own disciples, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he continues in verse 26, Brothers, son of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. He's begun in Genesis, and now he just went to Christmas. Jesus has been sent to us, just as God promised. Verse 27, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Jesus nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, by the way, Paul says, they actually fulfilled them by condemning him. Verse 28, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, in other words, no evidence, why? Because he's perfect, spotless. They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in the tomb. Sermon over? Oh no. It's just beginning. Verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, Jesus appeared to these who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God had promised to the fathers, thus he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one, your Messiah, the anointed one, see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was laid with his fathers and his body saw corruption. Oh, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. This is such an awesome sermon. And in this sermon, he gives four bold claims, four resurrection claims. I want to share them with you. The first claim that he makes is that this was all fulfilled prophecy. When you thought that you were trying to get rid of Jesus, you're just executing his plan. You're just carrying out his plan. Paul says in verse 27, for those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize Jesus, nor understand the scriptures, which happen to be read every Sabbath, actually fulfilled them by condemning him. What Paul is saying is this, is everything that the rabbi just read from the scroll of Isaiah, it points to one person. And by the way, this was written over 700 years before Jesus even came on the scene. And he's saying that this scroll points to a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And what you have done is actually fulfilled prophecy. Consider some of the things that Isaiah prophesies about the coming Messiah. Chapter 53, verse 5 says this 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Beloved, the crucifixion and the subsequent resurrection is the fulfillment of what God had promised. And Paul makes a resurrection claim. He says, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. That's claim number one. Claim number two that this was a resurrection, not a resuscitation. Verse 30, but God raised him. Raised him from where? From the dead. This is not to say that Jesus passed out from his wounds. It's not that Jesus swooned. It's not that Jesus entered into a coma. No, he was dead, but God raised him from the dead. Why is this such a big deal? Well, there are those even in our day and time that would suppose that Jesus did only pass out. That his injuries left him dehydrated and caused him to swoon or to spiral into some coma. I do not believe that to be the case. You say, why? Just one answer to that question. Consider the people that signed his death certificate. Roman soldiers who were experts in the art of crucifixion. They jabbed him in the side with a spear and scripture tells us that blood and water flowed. Evidence of asphyxiation. He had expired. They didn't even break his legs because it was obvious he was already gone. And then whenever they took him down off the cross, they gave him to a funeral director, Joseph of Arimathea, who signed his death certificate by preparing his body with the appropriate spices and wrapping it in a shroud. And then they carried him to a tomb where Roman soldiers made for sure that he was placed, he had finished, he was dead before rolling a stone in front of the entrance. Beloved Jesus didn't just pass out. He was dead. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And he walked out of the tomb to the glory of God. Claim number one, all of this is fulfilled prophecy. Claim number two, it's a resurrection, not a resuscitation. Claim number three, it's a resurrection confirmed confirmed resurrection. Paul points out that not only did Jesus raise from the dead, but there were witnesses. There were people who saw Jesus post-resurrection that were still alive, that could vouch for having seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 31 of Acts chapter 13, it says, and for many days he, being Jesus, appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. Paul is saying, you don't want to take my word for it? There's a bunch of other people who you can go visit about this. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 4-7, greater detail about who Jesus appeared to. Verses 4-7 through of 1 Corinthians 15 says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter's Aramaic name, 
Then they appeared to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, and then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Claim number one. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Claim number two, it's a resurrection, not a resuscitation. Claim number three, resurrection, confirmation, and other witnesses. And the fourth claim, perhaps one of the greatest claims as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this, is that Jesus is still alive. Jesus didn't just resurrect from the dead to die again. Jesus resurrected from the dead never to see decay. In fact, Paul says that in his sermon, verses 34 and 35 of Acts 13. It says, and for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. In other words, to never die again. And then he goes on and he says in verse 35, therefore he says in another Psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. But David, I mean, y'all walk around here hailing King David, King David this, King David that. But look what happened to David, verse uh, 36. For David, after he served the purposes of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. That is, he died and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. That is, his body decayed. But Jesus is different. Jesus is greater than King David. Verse 37, but he, Jesus, whom God raised up from the dead, did not see corruption. Acts chapter 1 tells us that after he spent about 40 days with the disciples, he ascended into heaven. Before their very eyes, Jesus ascended into heaven. Where Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us now that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is very much so alive. You and I feel Jesus being alive. We feel it in the conviction of our sins. We feel it in the draw to come here on this day to celebrate this man. He is forever alive to never see decay again. Listen, Jesus defeated death. No question. It's death that's in the grave. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It doesn't exist. Why? Because it's been conquered by Jesus. We that are in Christ, our death is just a passage to our victory in Him. Death gives way to victory, the Scripture says. Victory in Jesus, the one that overcame the grave. So we've looked at the character, Paul, We've looked at the claims, the four claims, the four resurrection claims that he made. And finally, let's look at the conclusion. You know, every good sermon has a strong conclusion. Paul is given information, a lot of information. He's provided witnesses. He's gone to the scriptures. He's laid it out for them. But there's one question that remains. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean for me. We can ask the same question. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us today in the 21st century? Every good sermon answers that question and Paul does that in his conclusion. Look with me at verse 38 of Acts 13. Paul says, let it be known to you therefore. Therefore, why is that therefore? In light of Jesus being resurrected from the grave, let it be known to you brothers that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. 
My friend, because Jesus has raised from the dead, you and I could be forgiven of our sin. Praise God. You mean, Pastor Chris, I don't have to work for my forgiveness? Oh, no, you can never do enough. You're rotten to the core. Your heart is sinful, bent towards sin. Oh, but Jesus took your place. And because he is raised from the dead, you can be forgiven of your sin. That's good news. And you say, well, how is that possible? How can I be forgiven of all my wrongdoings? Again, verse 38, it says that through this man, through Jesus, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. We're going to look at this, by the way, in, in our next series. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. It's through Jesus that we have the forgiveness of sin. And notice this. This is, this is awesome what Paul says. He says the forgiveness of sin is what? Proclaimed to you proclaimed, spoken, declared. Gavel has landed. Forgiveness of sins. Well, who declares it? God declares it. For only God can say, I forgive you. And by God's grace, through the vehicle of faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, you can hear the words that every person desires to hear. Almighty God, say, I forgive you. Think about that for a moment. In our sin, we have offended the creator of the cosmos. In our rebellious heart, we turn away from Almighty God. By ignoring God's commands for our life, we disrespect Him. And yet it is that God that went to the cross for you. It is that God that stands ready to say, I forgive you. And it's only made possible through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says it this way, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Trespasses is another word for sin. According to the riches of His grace. I'm confident that the one thing that we'd all love to hear are the words, I forgive you. Have you ever wronged somebody? Have you ever been mean-spirited towards someone? Have you ever spoken behind someone's back? Wouldn't you love to hear them say, it's okay, I forgive you. Oh, but we've done more than done someone wrong. We have run from Almighty God in our sin and our rebellion but yet he stands ready to say, I forgive you. That's good, isn't it? Praise God. But you know what? It gets even better. How does it get better? Well, let's look at verse 39. And by him, by Christ, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Did you catch that? Everyone freed from everything. <laughs> That's awesome. You might be here today and you might be saying, well, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. There's no way God could ever forgive me. I tell you, there's an empty grave that says otherwise. If he can conquer death, he can conquer whatever sin that you could dream up. What have you been 
an unmerciful, ungrateful person? Have you lied? Have you committed adultery in your heart? Have you participated in drunkenness? Have you, we can name all the sins listed in the Bible, and you know what? Jesus died for every one of them. Even your sin and my sin. And not only does he forgive us of our sin, he frees us from the penalty of our sin. What is the penalty of sin? Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages, what we earn, our penalty, for the wages of sin is death. Real place called hell. I said, well, Pastor Chris, that's kind of harsh, right? That a loving God sends somebody to hell. Oh no, God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves there. By our rebellious heart, by turning our backs on God, we are sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in your sin and in my sin, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, doomed to face the consequences, the penalty of our sin, which is eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. You think about it. Every punishment always rises to match the authority that is offended. Take, for example, if I were to tell you a lie, nothing's going to happen to me. You might lose a little bit of respect for me, but nothing's going to happen to me. But what if I lie, same sin, what if I lie to my wife? I'm sleeping on the couch. If I'm lucky. What changed? The authority in my life. What if I lie to my employer? I could be fired. What if I lie uh, to the government? I could be thrown in jail. See, the, the penalty always rises to match the authority that is offended. It's not that the, the sin changed, the offense changed. It's who's offended. When you think about God, God is an infinite authority, therefore demanding an infinite penalty. This is the justification for the penalty of our sin. But yet God so loved you, even and your sin. My favorite verse in all the world, but God demonstrates, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And by God's grace, through faith in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our life, we are freed from the penalty of our sin. This is good news. The best of news that you could possibly receive the thief on the cross next to jesus died that day yet he was forgiven how can we say that well because jesus said today you will be with me in paradise the murderous journeys of paul forgiven the anger that burned within moses forgiven the most vile criminal can be forgiven and yes you and me, we could be forgiven. But it only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, Scripture does tell us that there is one sin that Jesus did not die for. It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the sin of unbelief. Jesus didn't die for that. And that makes sense, right? Because this forgiveness is made available to everyone who what? Who believes? So you have to believe in order to gain the forgiveness. And if you don't believe, then you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. And so therefore, that is the only sin by which Jesus did not die. Unbelief. Everything else 
past, present, future. Everything is freed. Everyone is freed from everything. We've looked at the character of Paul. We've looked at the resurrection claims that he makes. And we've talked about the awesome conclusion of his sermon. There's one other C word that I want you to think about. It's the word consideration. At the end of Paul's conclusion, he tells the the people in the synagogue, he says, take care. In other words, take deep consideration. Take inventory. Consider the claims that I've just spoken to you. What about you? I'll ask the same question. Have you considered Jesus and all that he has done on your behalf? Have you considered Jesus and entrusting him as your Lord and Savior? You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.